0: crucial county in Wisconsin that Hillary has gained one vote. Well, that was worth $7 million. (laughs) Well, (coughs) Antiochus was not a good guy, though. Since we're talking about politics. Well, anyway, uh, get your Bibles out and look at, go over to Luke 10. (coughs) I'm going to ask you a question about what you have in the first verse. Get the first verse out there. Okay. Now you can vote by raising your hand. I'm going to read you a quote from a very famous Bible teacher on this passage. And he writes and he says, The choosing of the 72... In the choosing of the 72. Jesus gave instructions to the 72. Some Greek manuscripts in verses 1 and 17 have 70. And others have 72. Both readings have strong support. Okay, how many of you have 72 in verse 1? Any of you have seventy-two? Yeah, I'm not voting for it, but there it is. There it is. Yeah, and that's the Darby? No, it, it isn't. Is. I don't. I'm, I, I left Darby at home today. Okay, what's what's that? This is a, the, the NIV Bible, the NIV. Oh, the NIV. Yeah, yeah. The NIV has it. seventy. How many of you have seventy? Okay, Dave, are you not? Did you not vote? I don't care. <laughs>
1: You need to care. I'm not going to vote
0: this year. You're not going to vote this year? I need to care. Well, it's interesting that um, this man would say both readings have strong support. Maybe we ought to take a vote and say how many of you are in favor of 72 and how many of you are in favor of 70. Which is it? Which is it? Does it matter? Three, five I'm talking to her. Why does it matter? Why, theologically, does it matter? Truth is truth. I want to get it right. Fact is fact. Inerrancy. Inerrancy. Is it both? No. It's one or the other, isn't it? One reading is right. The other isn't. It's either 70 or 72. We could go into a deep discussion on how 72 got there, but we won't. But, this phrase, both readings have strong support. How would you, what would you think of a situation that a basketball game that uh, at the final was 99 to 1. (laughs) Close game. Close game. (laughs) Well, 99% of all the Greek manuscripts that have this passage and this verse in it, 99% of them have 70. And 1% have 72. My Bible is very embarrassed now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, most, almost all of the modern translations are 72. You want to know something? Rupert Murdoch made a bucket of money off the NIV. Because he owns Zondervan. You know who Rupert Murdoch is? (laughs) Okay. Zondervan, the NIV made Zondervan. Bernie and Pat Zondervan sold it. And eventually Murdoch got a hold of it. Anyway, we won't go there. Uh, I used to work in the Bible department at Dightman's Bible Book Center along with uh, that and other things out at Northwest Baptist Seminary and then did an interim thing out at Lakewood Baptist Church. And I, I would get so agitated at... Uh, anyway, let's not go there. Both readings have strong support. I beg to differ. Why why would 70 versus 72? Where did 72 early early come from? It came from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which had 70. And the Greek Septuagint had 72. Put in 72. Um, Another writer says this, I prefer 70 mainly... Because I think it likely that Jesus was prefiguring a mission to the whole world here. However, this problem has no significant bearing on the meaning of the rest of the story. Well, I beg to differ with that second sentence. Where are we in the life of Christ? How, do, do any of you still have? Would any of you? Would any of you have? Um, your copy of, of this chart with you, any of you have your that that or did you no. okay well, I don't have enough to pass out to all of you. Uh, there's seven souls here, and uh, let's pass them out for as far as we can go. Um, Where are we in the life of Christ? Here, we'll pass out this other one too for what's left. Jim, here's... Yeah, but I'm not touching anything. Yeah, I think that cord needs to get swapped out. Well, it's okay as long as we are not moving. What uh, where are we in relation to Where are we in relation to Luke chapter 10 from these charts? Are we still in the great Galilean ministry? Nope. We are... Judea? We are in the latter... You'll notice that there's the latter Judean and then the latter Perean. Perea, if if I remember right, Perea is not mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, It is uh, referred to under the description of Decapolis. What does Decapolis mean? Ten. Ten cities. Ten cities. And the ten cities compose and are found in the, in the region of Perea. And Graham Scroggy, in his commentary, which is a little brief commentary, but very, very helpful and instructive. How many of you have heard of Graham Scroggy? One, two. Um, wonderful Bible teacher. Uh, wonderful. Commentary on songs, Beautiful commentary on the Gospels. Oh, rich. Um, but he thinks that this took place, this ministry took place in Perea. And it may be. But Jesus is on his way, ultimately, to his death. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He sends out these 70 and to uh, he commissions them. Let's see if we can pull up the text here. Um, Somebody read for us verses uh, 1 through 3. Nice and loud. the first three verses, right? Yeah. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Okay. So he chooses seventy at least. He chooses seventy besides who else? Twelve. The twelve. Earlier in in chapter nine we read about that. So how many people does he feel confident with I mean, some degree of confidence in that are following him at this juncture. How many altogether? 82. Yeah. 82 or 84, depending on which text you, uh, you're you following. Well, it's not in the text, Ken. I mean, it feels confident. Pardon? You think he he's, he's doing this based on his confidence in them? Well, I... I, I, mean, I don't see that in the text. I, I'm sorry. Just a you you don't see that that he uh, he has confidence that they will go out and uh do it and preach what he tell what's he tell them to do what's he tell them to pr- preach anybody you have to look at sure. kingdom of God, yeah. yeah, the kingdom of God is. Um, let's get over there and get. Uh, he's sending them out as lambs among wolves. He must have some confidence in them that uh, they're they can survive uh, the wolf-like tendencies. And he, he tells them, carry neither money bag, knapsack, and greet uh, no one along the low, road. Uh, so they're traveling light. They're traveling light. And um, then he he tells them what they're supposed to preach. The kingdom of God has come near to you. In what sense is he meaning that the kingdom is coming near? Because he's the king. Sure, The king is here. Is he the king or is he not the king? He is the king. And he's nigh. Uh, and he's going to come and do what? He says, I send you out. In verse 1 he says... He sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So this is the advanced team, so to speak. So he, he has some confidence. He must have some confidence in these that they will carry out uh, what he has enjoined them to do, that they have uh, taken limited, limited provisions. And uh, are uh, are not, um, and they're. Listen to this about the wolves. Uh, So long as the church stands, believers must must expect to be like lambs among wolves. They must make up their minds to be hated, persecuted and ill-treated by those who have no real religion. They must look for no favor from the unconverted people for they will find none. It was a strong but a true saying of Martin Luther that Cain will made murder Abel if he can to the very end of the world. Marvel not, says John, if the world hates you. All that will live godly in Jesus Christ, says Paul, shall suffer what? Persecution. persecution. And persecution takes various and sundry forms in different locations. Now, I want to back up just for a minute here. Uh, I think that the 70 refers and harkens back to Genesis chapter 10 and what is Genesis chapter 10 about? The table of what? Nations. Nations. And how many nations are mentioned there? Seventy. There were seventy souls that went down into Egypt with Jacob. So but I think that that the seventy, uh, the table of nations, is important. So he sends them out, and there's going to be there's going to be acceptance, and there's going to be rejected rejection. Listen the the wolves passage. That is even enjoined upon us. In Acts 20, verse 28. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God. Which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure... Savage, what? Wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So, He sends them out with this message. They were to travel light. How many of you, um, if you read the Gospels, you'll notice that they're sometimes, like here, they traveled light and sometimes they traveled heavy. What's the difference? Whether well, you've got a wife or not. <laughs> wow. I never thought of that one, Willie. Really. I'll have to think that one through. Well, let me give you an idea. In our Tuesday night study group, actually the Tuesday night study group is legally, legally uh, organized as the Christian Education Society. Why is it that way? Why are we a 501c3 organization? Well, we have three former Wycliffe missionaries that we pray for and people send in money and we transmit the support at no cost. There's no overhead charge or anything. Uh, We bear that ourselves and and take care of that. So there is Hank Hildebrandt up in Burns Lake, British Columbia, and there is Paul and Lois, uh, Hank and Barbara Hildebrandt, and there's Paul and Lois Melanowski, and they, their area of ministry primarily. They're very advanced in age now, and the only time they can get up there is in the summer. Um, in Tok, Alaska, Tok is perhaps the coldest place in Alaska. It's it, it indicated, uh, been indicated that, that Paul has told us this. So. Anyway, they they summer in Dollar Bay, Michigan, <laughs> and they're so old and, and feeble now that uh, we're not. It's they're not they're not going up the tope very often, but nevertheless, we still transmit and people are still supporting them in their old age. And then there's Dick and Shirley Walker in uh, Williams Lake, British Columbia, and. Uh, All sustaining a ministry of of significance according to their talent and abilities. Well, anyway, one of the men in our organization is our treasurer. And he is uh, a very uh, trusted individual. Uh, His name is Roger Sheese. And Roger is our treasurer. And Roger has been all over the world at his own expense doing missionary work through church partnership evangelism. And he, he just came back uh, not too long ago from from Argentina. And uh, anyway, he, he goes at his own expense, takes his vacation time, and, and, and does this. He, he has been uh, India twice, uh He's been in South America, Central America, uh, Burundi, Africa, another place in Africa, and uh, uh, just just amazing. Uh, all at his own expense, out of his own pocket, taking his vacation. He works at WPI. He, he's a property manager at WPI Realty in Seattle. Anyway... I tried to call him this morning to find out a significant thing, and that is, uh, uh, and I couldn't get a hold of him. Uh, that is, I wondered if he took an extra pair of shoes with him on these short-term missionary trips. But that—that's why they're, tra- they're traveling light, you see. That's why he's saying they're not going to be out there for a long period of time. But. Um, I'm going to find out from Roger if he, he takes uh, an extra pair of shoes, and that, that's that's what I think is involved. Oh, incidentally, uh, how many have heard of uh, Max Locato? Several of you. Uh, he has a new series out based on the 23rd Psalm called "Traveling Light," and it, it's an 18 DVD series. Uh, Actually, there's 18 uh, uh, messages. Jeanette and I have have uh, really enjoyed listening to that series. We've recorded it on our DVR, and and uh, she really loves uh, Max Licato. He's uh, but he, he he's traveling. He says we ought to travel light in a different way. He says as we travel through life. We begin to accumulate things like fears and, and anger and things like this, and he says we need to we need to rid ourselves of these. And he uses the 23rd Psalm, showing how it's a wonderful series. Anyway, so we need to travel light. These guys were traveling light, and um, one of the elements that is really interesting. Uh, about in these verses up uh, through uh, verse 9 in fact um, let's take a look at that let's read this let's get up he says uh, carry neither money bag knapsack nor sandals and greet no one along the road I could give you a quote but I've got a lot of other things to get through here so we won't do that about how bogged down people get with uh, Greetings in the Middle East. Uh, but whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Some interesting things we could fill up here. He said, whatever city you enter, and they receive you. Eat such things as are set before you. And then in verse 9, And heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. So he deals with their, uh, their physical needs by way of uh, healing that would draw attention. Uh, but whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you go out into the streets and say the very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you nevertheless know this that the kingdom of God has come near you the kingdom of God has come near you they are representing the king and that that representation has come and um, He says here that uh, with regard to well what an observation I I want to uh, bring here is and this comes from uh, J.C. Ryle and if you ever want to do a, a study in the Gospels magnificent Magnificent commentary on the four Gospels. The first point we should notice in these verses is the simplicity of tidings which our Lord commanded some of his first messengers to proclaim. We read that they were commissioned to say the kingdom of God has come nigh to you. These words should probably be regarded as the keynote to all that the 70 disciples said. We can hardly suppose that they uh, said nothing else but this single sentence. The words, no doubt, implied far more to a Jewish hearer at the time w- than when they were w- when they were spoken, than when they convey to our minds at the present day. To a well-instructed Israelite, they would sound like an announcement that the times of blank had come. Who? times of the Messiah that the long-promised Savior was about to be revealed, that the desire of the nations was about to appear, according to Haggai 2.7. And this is unquestionably true, such an announcement suddenly made by 70 men, evidently convinced of the truth of what they said, traveling over a thickly peopled country. Could hardly fail to draw attention and excite inquiry, but still the message is peculiarly and strikingly simple. It may be doubted whether the modern way of teaching Christianity, as a general rule, is sufficiently simple. It is certain fact that deep reasoning and elaborate arguments are not the weapons by which God is generally pleased to convert souls. Simple, plain statements, boldly and solemnly made, and made in such a manner that they are evidently felt and believed by him who makes them, seem to have the most effect on hearts and consciences. Parents and teachers of the young, ministers and missionaries, scripture readers and district visitors would all do well to remember this. We need not be so anxious as we often are about fencing and proving and demonstrating and reasoning out of the doctrines of the gospel. Not one soul in a hundred was ever brought to Christ in this fashion. We want more simple, plain, solemn, earnest, affectionate statements of simple gospel truths. We may safely leave such statements to work and take care of themselves. They're arrows from God's own quiver and will often pierce hearts which have not been touched by the most eloquent sermon. In all of the New Testament, what is the sentence of the verse that in essence best describes the gospel? Yeah, I heard it. What? John 3:16. John 3:16, isn't it? It's known as, you know, I mean, athletes are going around with it on their shirt, and even Christians are now putting it on the clothing. John 3:16. Somebody quote it for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, that's interesting now that's interesting where's repentance in that verse in a sense in, from the, in the word believeth yeah. 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 the word believe is what includes repentance it included repentance. It includes repentance because we it includes believe. Includes repentance. Beg pardon. It includes repentance. You do believe. You believe on Jesus because that was that was His message. In in a sense. Let in, me ask you another question. In the question. sense that Percy means it, but not in the sense that you're referring to. <laughs> How many times does repentance occur in John's gospel? Arnie? I know yeah you talked about it, John I do. I do how many times does repentance occur it doesn't. Is't that interesting? How many times does the word faith and believe occur? almost a hundred times depends on what Greek text you're using a hundred times. Now some of you may say well that's an argument from silence no it's an argument about silence Now l- let me let me share something w- what does what is does repentance mean what what's to turn okay t- to turn that's one of the Greek words, but the but the key Greek word means to change your mind. And you'll hear this that repentance means change your mind. Changing your mind may be involved, but yes. there there's a hermeneutical there's a hermeneutical fallacy in that. It's called they they get the word to change your mind out of the root meaning of metanoia. And, it, and the word uh, means uh, not. Uh, it comes from the two the two words to change or turn about, and uh, naos, which means mind. And so they they take that. But when you study the semantical occurrences, there's far more involved than just changing your mind. Changing your mind may be involved, but Repentance really means to make an about-face, to do a 180, and to uh, make a break, as someone has put it. Now, that's all fine, um, but the only problem with it is that repentance is a work. In a sense, you're right. Repentance is a work. Jonah 3.10 Then God saw their what? The Ninevites. He saw their what? Their works. That they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that He had said He would bring upon them. And He did not do it. And the word there... That they turned is the Hebrew word for repent. And the word that God relented, similarly. He made an about face. And then over in Luke chapter 11 and verse 32. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Repentance may be involved. In conversion. But it's not a requirement of it. Now remember. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the. Okay. Somebody finish it, the rest of it. Yeah, keep going. For we are his workmanship, created in God good works, which God has prepared in us to do. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus, unto or for good works, which God has. or or prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Works follow, But they have no place. Think about it. Think about it. What are we saved by? What is the essence of the gospel? What is man's deepest need? To, To recognize that he's a lost sinner. So that he's a lost sinner? No. And he needs what? He needs a Savior. He needs a Savior and he needs what? A change life. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. So what? You get forgiveness. You get forgiveness of your sins. So what? To restore your relationship with God the Father that was broken in the garden. Okay, those are all good things. But what... What is the what is man's deepest need? Is it forgiveness? Life. Percy, how old are you? Eight, Eighty-five. Eighty-five. Well, you got you got five years on me, but I'm edging up there. So are you. Are you ready? Okay. What's yeah, man's yeah. deepest need? What's man's deepest need? Entry over death. That's it. Victory over death. Man needs to know and have confidence in eternal life. And what does John's gospel tell us? What does John three sixteen say? Believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but I have everlasting life. Why do we need everlasting life? Why don't we have it? Why don't we get it? It's because of the sin. See, the, the problem is we're in the gospel, preaching the gospel, we're getting the cart in front of the horse. We're getting the cart in front of the horse. God has promised through His Son to give us eternal life if we believe that He gives and guarantees it. And these disciples, they come back and they're just uh, elated. And Jesus tells them, what? Rejoice that you have eternal life. Pardon? Rejoice that you have eternal life. That's right. Yeah. That your names are written in the book of life. That's, that's what needs to be to be uh, well there's a lot of other things we could add to this and uh, go but our time is gone Um, let me uh, just close with this um, just close with this this passage of scripture Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 3 and 4 But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received Or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He was concerned about stepping away from the simplicity. The simplicity is there. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God. That's the promise of God, the promise of the gospel, and that's what we need to proclaim. That's what we need to proclaim in all its simplicity. But we, we've got to move and faint and add things and repent and do all these other. I'm not saying repentance, but put it in its place. See it in its place. Keep, let's keep the simplicity. John 3.16 to the 4. Let's pray. Lord, what a rich, amazing passage this is. And how our Lord drew attention to those who came back and told them what really was important. We just pray that You'll help us To see things as He saw saw things. And to absorb ourselves with His teaching. Dismiss us now, we pray, with Your care and keeping. In Jesus' name. amen. 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 Oh, here. I've got a couple of things for you.